kids see the world through the lens of the messaging that we give them. It's not romantic when a guy is a jerk to you or when a woman is being self-centered. That's not romantic. If you start to teach kids from a young age about what healthy, beautiful relationships look like, we would be doing a tremendous service to incorporate relationship building skills, social and emotional skills into childhood and adolescence. That would be wonderful. In this second part of our two-part series with Eli Sheva, we discuss the controversial topics of the benefits and challenges of making our partners and children aware of the fundamentals of relationships and the topics of sex awareness to avoid negative expectations of physical and emotional relationships that are often followed by disappointment, marital distress, and divorce. And now, your host for the Hope to Recharge podcast, Matana. You're a big educator and you do sex education. Don't wait to talk about sex until your daughter's or son makes someone pregnant or your daughter gets pregnant. Don't wait until it's too late. Talk about it when they're young, when they're going through puberty or maybe even before. It depends. We, you speak about what the maturity of the child and go with their clues. But don't wait until it's too late. I just interviewed a woman that said, we don't wait to talk to our children about sex, but and we talk about it way before. Why is it the same? not the same thing about suicide? Like, why don't we talk about suicide before the suicide attempt or the ideation, whatever. I'm going to ask you, do you think there's not enough education about what a what a marriage is in our days, not a hundred years ago? Do we need to start the conversation about self-development, understanding who we are, how we come to a relationship? What is a relationship? What is a marriage? Why do we get married? Why is it important to stay with the same person? Monogamy. I, I didn't get that conversation growing up. I, I came from a very open-minded family. There were conversations, but I think I didn't have this until my mental breakdown. 10 years into my marriage, I didn't even start thinking about these things. I thought that life just evolves and you find somebody that can evolve with you and you're lucky if you do. I happen to have been very lucky that we knew before we got married that we know how to fight very well. And we spoke about it for six months and we were very open about the fact that we're so different and we're welcoming differences. I think I'm unique. I don't think most couples come into a, a relationship knowing that they're so different and they're going to constantly need to work on it. So are we missing a big part of showing children or trying to educate them? At, at, and there's no way to really show a person what marriage is like until they're in it, but to really go inward and say, what are you? Who are you? They don't own you. No one owns you. And you don't own them. You is both ways, especially in the Orthodox world. There's a very big misunderstanding and maybe even leaders that teach this, that the husband does. There is a purchasing and I owe it to my husband. And if he asks me, I have to obey. And it's for the collective good of the family, the shalom bias of the family. There is plenty that believe this. Are we not educating our children enough to try to know who they are and to try to educate them on this, the, the beauty in a marriage, the ups and downs, and not just the Hollywood, not just the, the loves and the romance? And really, what it, what's the goal? As Esther Perel talks about it, where, did we, where are the cracks? I believe that a lot of marriages are cracking because they came in from two things, to feel love and to have children. I, I, I think that in, in my society, like it's a lot because this is what we do. We get married at a certain age. We get married. We continue our family. We multiply. Somebody told me, I said to them, why did you get married? Said, because I have to. I said, why do you have to? Because the Torah says. Compulsory. Really? Yes. I think there's, a, in a lot of communities, there's the obligational piece um, of getting married, of having the children, of how we do marriage. It's much more about obligations and responsibilities than about mutual enjoyment of one another. And obviously there's both. If, if two people go into a marriage with only the focus on pleasure and fun and enjoyment, 
then, you know, when the going gets tough, they're in for a rude awakening. But I think that it's like with anything else in our lives, let's say you do a job, right? You have a job that you do for a living. It's nice and it's wonderful and advisable to try to find the job that's going to be fulfilling. But also there are going to be days where you wake up and you just don't want to go to work because you stay in bed. So and also the fulfillment piece. But answering what you said, you know, about education. It's about education, but I just realized that there's the whole thing that wants to come first, for full sure. circle for me yes. to understand. Do you feel that if we do start educating them and giving them many options, are they not going to try hard enough? And then it comes full circle. Is it going to be like, oh, I don't like this job. I'm going to leave, especially in our generation of everything is very like me, it's not comfortable, I'm going to leave. So people are, people work on something when they feel it's a disaster or tragedy, or it's unheard of. Is it helping us that society is calling it a tragedy or a taboo, or you try hard enough because we work harder on it? And can we create this, this thing that education is great, but let's educate them right to make right choices and really try harder in the relationship and don't give up. But still, if you need to walk away without this heavy feeling of failure. You said so many things and I need 55 hours to answer all. It's so rich and so dense. And you said so many really important things. So I think it's, it's a podcast. It's not a book. So there's, there's a limit to how much we can tackle of, of all of the really critical topics that you just mentioned. But I, I made some notes while you were talking because you touched on so many important things. One piece of it is that from a purely utilitarian, rational perspective, if you put religion aside, marriage is like almost irrational. It's almost illogical. It's one of my kids said to me yesterday, I wonder why people would get a tattoo. Like when I'm 25, I think I'm going to know what I want permanently on my body when I'm 75. Like clearly people do know feel sure. that way but I would never get a tattoo for that reason because like, I don't know I, I feel really stupid about things I said and did 10 and 20 and 30 years ago so like why would I trust my judgment for that level of permanence going forward there are very few things that you really can't undo like you have a kid you can't undo having a kid <laughs> making tying the knot to be with someone until death do us part is a very long-term commitment so I think that's why we're seeing more and more in secular society that people are more and more gravitating towards not necessarily getting married not necessarily making that monogamous long-term commitment, saying the notion of marriage is like an outdated religious construct that sort of makes people, you know, they call it the ball and chain. And they'll just be like, right now we're enjoying our relationship. Why do we have to give it a title? Why do we have to put a label on it? Why can't we just, if we want to move in together, we'll move in together. Maybe if we want to have a kid together, we'll do that. But what's the point of calling it a marriage? What's the point of making a wedding ceremony? And the truth is, if I wasn't a religious person, I, I don't know that I would have a really good answer to that. I think like other than the sentimentality of it. Yeah. Yeah. So I wonder that all the time. Like why? But then when I ask people, they'll say, because we want the commitment. Exactly. But the commitment is like the tattoo. But do you really know for sure that's what you're going to want in decades from now? And the answer is we don't really know. Marriage is a tremendous leap of faith. It's a tremendous act of, and, and the divorce rates are very high because of this, is that you know, people do change over time. So just to, to comment on that piece, I think that is where we're seeing a split in terms of the secular, like purely utilitarian rationalist perspective versus the more traditional values-based or sentimental perspective of the commitment showing like we take this seriously. And it could be that if you and I were both secular, we would gravitate towards that reasoning as well. It's hard to know because both of us were raised religious and we're very embedded in religious values. But so that piece of it, I think is important. What I love that you brought up was the notion of the same way we're trying to encourage more and more families to incorporate age-appropriate incremental sex ed over the life span of a child and adolescence until they get to the age where they're going to become sexually active so that they are in touch with their body and understand what a physical relationship is. It would be so wonderful if we can incorporate more emotional intelligence into the curriculum of child rearing, whether it's in school or at home or a combination thereof. I homeschool my children, so 
when one of my kids was in ninth grade and her friends were reading, let's say Shakespeare or other literary pieces that, you know, are only really of use to you if you are interested in literature. I give my kids to read personal growth, mental health, psychology books, because there you're telling two birds with one stone. You know, they're getting the exposure to quality writing, mm-hmm. but they're also learning things. Like I had my 14-year-old reading the five love languages because I just think that's a really nice way of introducing at an age-appropriate, easy-to-understand level the idea that people experience love in different ways. And so, yeah, I 1,000% agree with you that incorporate. Another story was I had my, one of my kids was watching um, a show or a movie with a friend of theirs. And, and my friend's like, oh, that's so romantic. And my kid said, no, it's really unhealthy relationship. Look how unbalanced it is. And the... And the <laughs> And their friends, oh my gosh, you're such a kid of a therapist. I would say the same thing to your daughter. Yeah. Right, exactly. Can we be teenagers for a second and not like... No, but it's so interesting because I find that my kids will often, look, they're kids of shrinks. Let's see what happens. But like, that, you know, that they see the world through the lens of the messaging that we give them. And it's not romantic when a guy is a jerk to you or when a woman is being self-centered. That's not romantic. It might look attractive on the screen, but if you start to really teach kids from a young age about what what healthy, beautiful relationships look like, because there's a tremendous amount of overlap between what a beautiful, healthy friendship looks like and what a, what a beautiful, healthy marriage looks like, right? 100%. And no one talks about that before we get right. married. Do you get yes. along with them? Do they, do you have fun with them? Yeah. Do you enjoy each other's company? Right, right. Do you yeah. have fun? Does he see you a little bit? Like how much can he see you already? You laugh together. Exactly. So I, I, I 1000% agree with you. I think we would be doing a tremendous service to incorporate a lot more relationship building skills into you know, childhood and adolescence. And certainly once someone is old enough to get married, but isn't necessarily dating or dating the person that, you know, for seriously yet, rather than waiting till before they get married or after they're married to say, maybe we should learn a little bit about relationships. Or about ourselves. Or about ourselves a thousand percent. Yeah, you know what? You're hundred percent right. Like the, the notion of just self-awareness, emotional intelligence, psychological knowledge, and uh, mental health as part of the childhood curriculum. We learned so much history and science that we're never going to use again to incorporate a lot more social and emotional skills into uh, education would be, you know, wonderful. And that's not necessarily with the purpose of shrinking the divorce rate, meaning like it could be the same number of people will still get divorced, but if they're doing it from- But in a healthier way, my, I always say to people that know that I'm very vocal about this. I think it was Lewis House that had a divorce lawyer on his podcast. He had like tattoos all over. I remember it was so like, he looked so professional, but he was full of tattoos. And I'm like, you're a divorce lawyer. You look like you need to be on a band, on a heavy metal band. He wrote a book. If you're in my office, it's too late or something like that. Do you know that book? Not familiar. Okay. So it's about if you're in my couch or on your own, something like that. And I remember him saying that he got divorced and he's still very in a very good relationship with his ex. And I remember right away saying to a friend of mine that was going through divorce, I hope that within 10, 15 years that the more Esther Perel does her work and the more the work gets out loud there about that it's not really that we're broken people, that we weren't led properly, weren't educated properly, and things happen, stuff happens, that hopefully divorce won't be this angry, bitter, restraining orders, like these this hatred versus we can mourn a marriage. We can be sad. We can really be broken for a while. We don't know. We could be in this stage of, I don't know how I'm going to move forward. But do we have to hate the person just because we drifted apart? Now I'm saying if you're if abusive, I understand that. Okay, I don't believe in hate ever because it's not good for you. Not about the other person. Fine. But can we just move forward without all this baggage of who's talking to them? Who's inviting them? Who's hanging out with them? Versus coexist in this universe. Yes, we tried to make a family. We were in love for a while, maybe. And a lot of the time, and it just doesn't work anymore. 
And I was hoping that the world is going to get to there. But is that a tragedy in itself, Elisheva? Is that a tragedy? We're going to get to that state of, oh, we're getting divorced. It's okay. I don't think so. Let's meet like with our friends at a wedding and we could sit at the same table and not have awkward feelings. Is that even? I think there's a difference between normalizing divorce versus normalizing amicable divorce. I think that showing people that it's possible to get divorced and it not be a tragedy, that it's possible to get divorced and to stay warm acquaintances sometimes. Both people are committed to being healthy and boundaried and doing things in a way that's respectful. I think that can only help people. If that encourages more people who need to get divorced to be able to do so with peace of mind, so be it. Because again, we're not in the business of saving marriages. We're in the business of helping people figure out what's right for them. And I think that, and I think that also there's something to be said for, this is not a great analogy, but sometimes let's say a kid will be throwing a tantrum and you'll be like, no, you have to do A, B, C, you have to do this thing, you have to do this thing. And then all of a sudden you're like, you know what, you don't have to do this. Maybe you could also do that instead and give them another alternative. And somehow like the tantrum abates because even though they're not getting what they want, you're giving them another alternative. They're not locked into the thing that they think they have to do. I think that in general, that people, human nature is such that when you feel trapped and stuck and locked in, you get nasty, you get angry, you get resentful, you get bitter, you fight harder. And you feel unseen. And I always say it always goes back to being seen and belonging and you don't find it. Do you sometimes feel stuck? Do you wish you can be somewhere else? Do you have a vision of where you want to get to, but you just don't know what the first step to take in order to get to that life that you're dreaming of? How did I shift from deep depression, from extreme anxiety to a thriving life, to a productive life, to a life full of joy? I put many things into practice and it's every single day. Many of you know that it's gratitude, a healthy mindset, boundaries, self-love, and one of the most important things that many people don't speak about self-forgiveness and forgiveness to others essential for healing if you want to work one-on-one with me on these topics in order to move forward towards that dream life that you have a vision of click the link below in the show notes it's a custom made program for you one-on-one with me we will develop a concrete program that you can implement in your life so you can create a better well-being click the link below looking forward to working with you I know a nice number of divorces, both professionally and personally, where there really was that, like, like there are a couple of people that I've said, you guys should write a book about how nicely you got divorced. Everybody could learn from it. There's actually, as you were talking, there were a couple of books that I wanted to recommend. Maybe we'll link those in the show notes because there's a lot of nice stuff on this. Christina Kuzmik, you know who she is? You've probably seen videos of her, even if you don't know who I'm talking about. She's very cute. She's, she, I just thought she was like a funny mom. Like she had these like viral videos about motherhood that are adorable. But actually, she's an incredibly substantive person. And she wrote a book called Hold On But Don't Hold Still, which I've recommended. Oh, is she the curly comedian? Yes. I recommended her book to a few friends who, you know, who either got divorced or whatever, like that her story, she got divorced, she got remarried, but she is a great example of someone who was really committed to maintaining a warm relationship with her ex, primarily for the purpose of because they have kids together, but she talks about it really, and she worked hard at it. It didn't come naturally to them, but they worked at it. And now they have this family where, you know, I, I don't know if, I don't remember if her ex is remarried, but she's remarried and and the, her ex and her husband get along and they all get together for the kids' birthdays and they've really done a beautiful job and she talks about it. There's another prominent personality, also the controversial Doyle who also got divorced. She wrote very publicly about the struggles of her marriage. That's a little bit different because she became yeah, a she, lesbian. She married. So it's no well, longer him versus another him. It's I, I changed myself. It's true. It, there was infidelity. There was infidelity there. So the, if I remember correctly, I don't know. Whatever yeah. it is. But the, the point is more just that I think that she also makes a very vocal point of showing how we've all been through a lot and it wasn't easy. 
we could have been enemies, but we chose to be friends. Uh, yeah. So is that possible? Oh, it's totally possible. Is it possible for everyone? Can we remove the romance? Let's say one is a yeah. little bit more into, like you said, one is completely checked out. I don't feel anything. And the other one still loves each, the other person. Is it going to bring up constant, oh my gosh, I yearn for them. I wish it didn't. And is it possible? I think that's another one of those things that's really case by case. Like the same way there are some people where you're never going to be able to achieve that amicable divorce because that one, if one person is hostile and angry and antagonistic and cruel, then no matter how pleasant the other one is going to be, they're not going to be able to have that easy, comfortable, amicable connection. They're going to have to put up the kind of boundaries that are necessary if they don't both want to play. And likewise, the, the opposite, where one is still very much in love and in pain and the other one's ready to move on. It's just, I guess that there a question will be of how good of a job the one who is still in love will be able to do maintaining a more platonic, friendly connection when they can't have the kind of relationship that they do want. And that really is on a person-specific basis. But to normalize the notion of it's possible to end a relationship and it doesn't have to feel like a catastrophe and you can go move forward after the divorce proceedings and say, we didn't work well as a married couple, but we can work well as co-parents yeah. or as people who share the same circle yeah. of friends or in the same community or work in the same industry, whatever, wherever your paths cross right. again. I think it's definitely doable in theory for some people. It doesn't always pan out that way because people are people and we're complex. So we don't have to be friends, but we could be amicable and can part ways and say, if you go right, I'll go left and we'll just have boundaries. <laughs> we see it so many times in the Bible totally. that we said, we don't have, we're going to part ways. We're not going to be friends. We'll just have very clear boundaries and we're going to bless each other that you can thrive otherwise. And I think that's the ultimate for me in the perspective of mental health in general and seeing humans. The goal is not to stay lovey-dovey friends and being this angel above yourself to be to hang out with them. It doesn't have to be that. But it could be really, if you go left, I'll go right. We'll have healthy boundaries. We're both good humans part ways. that just don't bring out the best energy and the best behavior. And maybe you bring out my traumas and I'm not ready to deal with it or whatever it is. And it could just be as simple as that, that we're just, our, we love life very differently. Does it make one less than the other? No, we just, we do life so differently, especially with religion. I see it a lot that when people are or like finding themselves within the religion and then they're, they're married and they're like, wait, this is not what I signed up for. Or even it is what I signed up for, but I've changed or you've changed. Exactly. Right. This is not what I signed up in a marriage. Like this doesn't feel good at all. I didn't realize it was going to be like this. Yes, exactly. But the interesting, the, what I think is very interesting, and I wonder your take on this. So the religious world in general is more, is less divorce, right? There's more of a lower. Yeah. Lower. Do you think it's because people are are happier or is it just because of the stigma? I, I mentioned this earlier. I, I think it's going to be very hard to know. I think it depends community by community. I definitely think that as long as there is the stigma, we're, we're not going to be able to know to what extent marital satisfaction is playing into it. And you could say, okay, maybe they'll get divorced in their 50s or 60s once their kids are launched and they don't have that stigma about, you know, having divorce, raising kids as a divorced family. But it goes deeper than that. The stigma continues even after after the emptiness. So I, I think part of it is, is stigma. I think part of it is expectations. I think in certain religious communities, expectations for what this is something that I think religious communities do well is that I think that in the secular society there is a hope and almost a demand that your partner be your best friend really? and I think that in religious communities there's no pretense of this right. because I think gender roles are still more stereotyped right. for better and I think there that people have more of an understanding that you don't get married so that you can have a roommate who's your best friend you get married to have a marital partner and that and that that partner is 
someone who you want to build a life with. There should be love, there should be connection, there should be pleasure, but that person doesn't have to feel the same as your same-sex best friend feels to you. And that's very different. I think also because people do get married younger, there is more developing together. And do they go side by side or do they go drift like away? Sometimes yes and sometimes no. So I think it's very hard to attribute any one reason or explanation to why there's less divorce in the religious community. Like I said, I would love to believe it's because there's more marital satisfaction. I'm not entirely convinced that that's true. I think it's probably more connected to the fact that there's a stigma. And I think also because people do tend to have larger families. So if you have 1.5 kids and a dog, it's easier to navigate financially. I've met with more people than I can count who would say, if I didn't have kids, I'd be out of here in a minute. Right. Right. Or or if I only had one or two kids and I could support them by myself. A lot of couples will say, this is really sad when they'll say, we both would want to get divorced, but it's just, we can't afford it. They're just, they feel like we're trading in you know, one set of of, of stressors for another set. So it's okay. We don't have the funnest marriage, but okay, I'm helping. We're helping each other with the kids. We're helping each other with the finances. Like the the life that we've created and the family that we've created requires it's a two-man job. And if we were to break that apart and then each have to do it on our own part-time, it would just make life that much more complicated and difficult. It is because there's less divorce, it's harder to remarry because the pool is smaller. And so then you're up for to be alone more definitely and more likely for longer. So I think that the sociocultural variables besides for the stigma, but even the pragmatics, the logistics, the finances, the parenting, all of that stuff, you get a lot of discrimination from schools and synagogues. So like it's rough differently when they're divorced. So I think all of that stuff definitely comes into play. But again, I don't know that the solution, it, the, reducing the stigma around divorce is not so people, more people will get divorced or so fewer people will get divorced. It's so that people who have to get divorced can do so less suffering. We'll feel comfortable. Exactly. If we want to also then put efforts into better education to come into marriage and marriage, and then by extension, people are happier in their marriages and then there's less divorce. Well, I think everybody would be on board with that. Marry the right person and marry for the right reason. You were saying before that young kids get married together and they evolve together. And I wonder what you see that is in your practice, because I get this question often. People come to me, they're like in their high mid forties or even high thirties. And they're like, I married for 20 years. I just realized that I didn't even choose this. Like I didn't choose my husband. I was chosen for me. I had baby after baby. And then I had a mental breakdown. I was in the hospital. And then I realized that I'm somebody else and I started evolving. What now? I like for for 15 years, I was with somebody that I was told to love. I didn't realize that I don't love him. But now that I'm starting to heal, I realized that I lost myself and I was never asked. What happens to those that are not so intellectually honest with themselves? Do you really believe that they grow up together and they, and is it a miracle that they don't know each other and they were chosen for each other, that they actually are okay together or they're not aware that they're not okay? Is there something that's preventing you from achieving your goals or interfering with your happiness? Maybe it's anxiety or stress. BetterHelp.com will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. And you can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line and it's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online with a broad range of expertise available depending on what you need and the services available for clients worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send messages to your counselor. BetterHelp.com is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches that make it easy and free to change your counselors if you need to. And it's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp.com wants you to start living a happier life today. So visit BetterHelp.com slash hope to recharge. That's BetterHelp dot com slash hope to recharge and join over a million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. You'll also get 10% off your first month. Once again, that's betterhelp.com slash hope to recharge. 
there's so much to unpack there within religious communities that what the story that you just described, it sounds like, you know, the plot from unorthodoxy, but it's actually, that's a dramatization of something that we see playing out a lot more commonly than people realize. It's very often, very often. Yes. It's very common, very common. So within the, within our Orthodox community, there are, our broader Orthodox community, there are different ways that people date and marry. Right. In certain communities, there's something called a bishop where they really are chosen for yeah. them. The couple, the young couple just meets like one, two, three, a handful of times. It's very scripted, very formal, not very personal, certainly not romantic. And it's just like, check, we're, we're going to get married. And there's a tremendous amount of trust that's placed on the parents and the adults involved to say, OK, listen, we haven't had much experience with the opposite sex. So we're just going to go into this blindly and hope it works out. And I've seen cases where it was a disaster and I've seen cases where it was beautiful and everything in between. There is a very little sense of autonomy. And so there is like the whole psychological structure around the individuals and relationships in that culture is going to look very different from when people, from where there's more romantic autonomy. Then there's something called shidduch dating. The shidduch dating is when people are fixed up either by friends, by matchmakers, by people in the community, like introduced, but they spend some time getting to know one another anywhere from between a few weeks of very like rigid formal dating to months or even years of like really building a relationship and getting to know each other, just depending on the particular communities that the people are in or where they align as far as how well they want to get to know a partner before they get married. Within that kind of dating, shidduch, and also casual dating, which is a regular dating way everybody does in the world, you meet someone, you're introduced to someone, but it's more casual. It's not like, there's also the question of how intimate they're going to be and physically or if before they get married. All of these variables are very interesting to look at and to study as far as to as how they play out. In the very right-wing sector, what they'll say is, look, the divorce rates are so high, even in communities. That's what I hear all the time. That's my question too. And I want to know from your office. Your belief as Elisheva? My belief is that the divorce rates are high because they can be, not because, not necessarily because people are, are happier when it's harder to get. I, I think we have a, a lot to do as far as, you know, trying to educate people better as far as understanding what they need emotionally, what they can offer emotionally about boundaries, about authenticity, about honesty, about sex, all the variables that go into building a healthy relationship. And then, yes, there will still people who be people who stay married. There will still be people who stay, who get divorced. But both of those decisions can be made from a more empowered and self-aware and knowledgeable place rather than that default feeling with terrible regret. or. Pain. And I do believe that I don't see them as much as you in terms of whatever comes my way is people that ask me. It's usually only after a mental health crisis. But I'm sure to you, they come not because they having a marriage crisis or a religious crisis and within their marriage, and then they come to you. I'm wondering if there's really a crisis in the world of the relationship. And just because they're still so married and they call it the success rate, is it success just because they're married? Not because they don't even know that there's an object. There was a woman that came to me and she said, she was already a grandmother. And she said, I kept on running to my parents and saying, I'm not going home. They said to her in Yiddish, go home, your place is at home, figure it out that story so many times it's heartbreaking uh, and i'm like what yes. your places at home figure it out where's the empathy where there's a sympathy and then they decide if they get courage they leave how far can we push them how many stories are not coming into us and find that are dying in their loneliness at home yeah and it's really awful to see there are a number of cases that i can picture people who did not want to get married, but they were pushed into right. it. And that's, that's the whole arranged marriage scandal that's coming to light more in the UK. But I think that's a big issue. Or people who got married, but then realized soon afterwards that this was a mistake and this person is not treating them well, or this is not going well. And it makes all the difference being able to have the support of, I'm thinking of a particular case of someone that I knew who there, there was something that came up during the engagement that a lot of people would have ended up breaking up the relationship over just because it was so messy and so ugly. But the couple with the help of one of their parents took them to therapy. They worked it out. Turned out that 
that the young man and young woman really do love each other and they get along very well. It was something going on with the families and they were able to navigate mm-hmm. it, but it really required a lot of help and support from, you know, one side of the family and a therapist that got involved. And, and it was very interesting to me because I think they're going to be fine. Like, I think it's going to be great, but like they really, had they pushed through the marriage without working through, it would have been a disaster. And had they ended the relationship, then they would have ended the relationship, but it, but they did love each other and it didn't need to end. It just needed to be navigated with, with awareness, understanding like what's going on here and how do we set up the right boundaries and how do we put things in perspective. There are, it's complex. So that's really what it comes down to. And it's painful. I, I want to summarize this because we can talk, Elisha and I can talk for hours and hours and hours. And yeah, I probably didn't touch even 10% of what I wanted to, but that's okay. And I hope this was helpful for people. Sometimes we're not solving, we're just educating and just trying to say, you know what, your feelings are justified just to give another perspective. And I want to just summarize this a little bit and say, listen, marriage is freaking hard. It's hard no matter where you come from, whether you're a lesbian or you're gay or you're whatever you are or straight, you're, it's going to be hard no matter when you get married. If you're going to get married, it's young, it's going to be hard when you get married, when you're old, it's hard, but there's a lot of beauty in it. I think the beauty, I, I'm talking from my first firsthand, my beauty in my self in my own marriage is that I learn myself so much more with somebody that can show me my imperfections and where I need to work on. But I need to be open to that, really open to that. And I think that there's no 100% success in anything. But what we do need to know that we do matter. If it if something feels wrong to you in your gut, it's wrong. Go get help. Go. Your gut is usually right. And if it's something that hovers for a while, Sarah Blakely says this often, if something keeps on revisiting me, that means that it needs to be addressed. I have to tell you something. I don't know why couples get married without going to couples. I don't want to call it even therapy, but therapy is the- Premarital counseling. Counseling, yeah. call it therapy call it whatever maybe the therapy word is scary because that means that we're broken or we we need to heal well you know what it is the therapy right the therapy word is connected to healing and whereas counseling is advice so people use the words interchangeably i actually prefer the term premarital counseling right for a couple that's coming without any like overt issues they're just learning we're really happy we really like each other Things seem to be going smoothly, thankfully, but we want to be prepared because we recognize that relationships can get challenging and things come up along right, the way right. and we don't even know what we might be up against. So let's prepare and be for, for armed. For this. And not only before, I think it's super important after when things come up, Work on the relationship. don't have this taboo that it's embarrassing to go to couples counseling. Don't be embarrassed to go to Elisheva. Be proud that you're choosing your marriage and you're not going when it's in crisis. Be proud that you're choosing your marriage to educate. It's imagine you're about to embark on this new journey and what and something. You're going to make sure you're going and and asking the professionals in the world, how can we make this right with the least amount? And when you come across something that's not working well, where did we, what did we not see? Don't see it as a failure. See it as pride that I'm going to get help as something that really matters to you. And if you see marriage as something that you're afraid to break and you're a failure, if you're breaking it, educate yourself at different stages. When you first get pregnant, there's going to be something. When you first, you're going back to school, let's say you're starting a business. Let's say there's a tragedy and somebody dies. There is always something that's going to be new educate yourself. And it's going to be hard no matter what, but there is so much beauty in it. If you do need to walk away from it, if you do need to just try to gift it to yourself as not a failure. That's all I want to say. Don't see it as a failure. The language matters so much. It really makes such a difference. Yeah. I don't even think of, it's interesting you mentioned the idea of success rate in marriages. I don't, I'm sure I've heard it before, but I don't picture hearing longevity of a marriage is not necessarily success of a marriage. Dissolving a marriage is not necessarily a failure of a marriage. It just meant that it rode out its course. And I think like 
it, we're, we're walking through a time in humanity where we're examining language in a way that I think we more acutely than we ever have before. We're noticing the power of the words that we use and how these narratives really play into and script the way we feel, the way we behave, the way we connect, the way we label experiences in our relationships. And to be able to say, we ended our marriage because that's what needed to happen, but we still love the people that we've loved. We may even still love each other. We still love ourselves. And that divorce is, it's an end of something and it's a loss, but it's not a death. And if there are good moments in that marriage and growth moments, take it along with you. Don't bury it with this. I don't want to think about the past. If you were married for 10, 15, 20 years, whatever, take it along with you. Take the growing pains with you because you went through the pain. Is it Brene Brown that says, if you went through a painful experience and you didn't grow from its misery? but if you grew from it, it is growth or something like that. Sounds familiar. Sounds, it definitely sounds like something she would say. If you already went through the pain, don't waste it. Don't make it worse. Yeah, yeah don't waste these yeah. pains. Yeah, there's almost always something to And do. about ourselves and we evolve. I think the biggest message I want to give people when they're listening to this, don't feel broken from it. Don't feel less than. Don't let the stigma come between you and your long-term happiness and your goals. And of course, get the help you need and get the guidance because it's very hard to make decisions when your emotions are so high. It's hard. And they don't have to do it alone. Like, you know, to do right. alone. You know, like if you're in a state of happy in your marriage, get the help, work on the relationship or decide whether you want to work on the relationship. But then once you've made that decision, try to make it with as much serenity and confidence and inner peace as you can muster. Hopefully your partner will be in agreement with that. But even if not, at that point, you're anyway choosing to go out on your own. So then make it be your own goal to say, okay, this is what I have to do. Let me be as healthy about it and as strong within myself as I can. Thank you. Is there any closing words that you want? Like something that you say often in your office that you want to share with everybody that you feel like it might make a switch in their whole marriage conflict? I wish I had something. That was such a wonderful question. What's the most common question you get in your office? I guess obviously because of my specialty, probably the most common question I get is, will I ever enjoy sex? Oh, really? Yeah. And it's the women usually. Almost always women. Yeah. Like probably six. 60, 70% of my caseload at any given time is women who are trying to figure out if they're going to enjoy sex. Okay, next topic for our next, because I, our next conversation. And what else I want to talk with you about, and I want to leave this as a little teaser for people, especially this is for the Orthodox world, and it could be not only for the Orthodox world. I want to speak to you about this idea that a lot of people think that they're gay because they are attracted to the same sex because their entire life we were programmed to not like the others. Unfortunately, it comes up a lot in the beginning of a marriage that people come and say, wait, am I a lesbian? Am I broken? Am I bi? Why do I, is it my husband? Is it me? I think your expertise can give so much clarity and there's so much shame and fear and anxiety and sometimes depression when it comes to this topic. I hear it a lot and I hear it a lot and I want to address it. I'm going to wrap up and say that a lot of mental health crises happen is because you're, there's something wrong within your marriage. And when you find your place within a marriage, suddenly something inside you fixes. Now it's always a question, should I fix myself? And then the marriage evolves. Should we work on what's with the marriage? And then I'll find my wounds or whatever. I often see that people come and say to me, I'm depressed. I'm, I'm anxious. And then within two conversations, it's, it ends up in the marriage. Can identify that there's something going on in the relationship. Yeah. That that's always like a, you know, chicken egg scenario. Right. Like, I'm in a bad relationship or my, my relationship is not thriving because I'm depressed. You know, that's also something that has to be handled very skillfully. Within. Yes. Alisheva, thank you. You have homework now to send me all those booklets. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I want to send you all that material. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you very much for joining me here again today. Thank you for having me. It's always fun to talk to you, Montana. Have a great one. Bye-bye. 
Thank you for listening till the end. We highly appreciate all of our listeners. And Mental Health Together is better. You being here means a tremendous amount to us. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like some extra boost of information and inspiration that is not on the podcast, you can go to our website, hopetorecharge.com. There's some premium content that for the cost of a cup of coffee, you can download some amazing information that will help you, a tool that will guide you through life. So don't skip a beat. Don't hesitate. Go to hopetorecharge.com and see what other offerings we have there for your mental health well-being. Thank you for joining us. And remember, if you enjoyed this and you want to say thank you, the best way of gratitude will be by you leaving a review or a comment or sharing this with a loved one. There is no greater form of gratitude for us. Thank you. Bye till next time. Looking to reduce your anxiety and stress, relax your muscles, or get a better night's sleep? Check out Maxifies.com 100% legal hemp, where you can find doctor-formulated, lab-certified, high-quality CBD oils, tinctures, and other items, cultivated, grown, harvested, and packaged in the United States, and available in different sizes and strength formulas. Check out Maxifies.com, that's M-A-X-I-F-Y-Z.com, and use coupon code HOPE to get 10% off your order, plus free shipping. That's Maxifies.com.